0: That was a loaded question. Who shall ascend to the hill of the Lord and who shall stand in his holy place? He who has clean hands and a pure heart and does not lift up his soul to what is false. And does not swear deceitfully. He will receive blessing from the Lord and righteousness from the God of his salvation. Such is the generation of those who seek him, who seek the face of the God of Jacob. Lift up your heads, O gates, and and be lifted up, O ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. Who is this King of glory? The Lord strong and mighty, the Lord mighty in battle. Lift up your heads, O gates, and lift them up, O ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. Who is this King of glory? The Lord of hosts. He is the King of glory. That was the first song we opened up with this morning was Psalm 24 and music. I love what the passion says. It says, oh, wake up. Wake up, you living gateways. Wake up, you living gateways. Who are we talking about? Every one of you are living gateways. Wake up. And today is Pentecost Sunday and the celebration of not just pouring out of the Holy Spirit, but as I said earlier, the birth of the church. And, you know, the Holy Spirit came down on 120 people. Coming together in unity and in prayer and seeking God, waiting just to see what God had. You know, they they were in the room, I believe, ten days. And how many of us would wait ten days? Sometimes it's hard to wait ten minutes. How many would wait ten days until God does what He does? You know, I, Terry and I were talking last night. How long do you pray? Will you pray until you don't have to pray anymore? How long did they pray for revival till revival came? Could have been a week. It could have been a month. And most of the time it was months and years, but they didn't quit praying. How long do we pray? How long do we pursue and seek God until he shows up, until he does what he promises? We hold on to this word. God, until I see this word fulfilled, until I see this word fulfilled, I continue pressing and continue seeking Luke 18, Jesus gave us a great parable about that. He said, you know, you just pester pester the judge. He's talking about the unrighteous judge. Pester the guy until he gives you what he wants. How much more will I give you what you need? That's what the Word of God says. But what happened on the day of Pentecost? About devout Jews were living in Jerusalem. The Holy Spirit was very visible. He drew attention to himself, right? I remember years ago, we used to, every time you'd invite a visitor to church, the Holy Ghost would show off. Especially when these visitors were not full gospel people. And we used to joke about that, and we'd say, well, the Holy Spirit's going to show off today because we have these visitors. Well, we just love for him to show off. It either kicked them in or kicked them out, right? We didn't really care. But the Holy Spirit was visible, and the bystanders, it says, were amazed, and they were perplexed, and the church was ridiculed. An incredible event like the baptism, the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, and people would criticize the church. But that doesn't happen today, right? It's no different today. You know, outsiders are still amazed at what they see. They still don't understand the kind of people that we are. They still don't understand why we do what we do. And the church is ridiculed today. The church is falsely accused today, just as it was 2,000 years ago. But God, what did Peter do? Peter stood up and he began to proclaim the gospel, the good news. And that 120 turned into 3,000 because of the power of Holy Spirit. And we have to understand God's design for the church and how it has to be implemented today if we want to see the power of the church alive. Now, our message today is going to be a little radical for some of you, okay? I'm going to kick you in or kick you out. I think you're all in. It might be a little bit strong for some. Maybe it's not. Maybe I'm overestimating or underestimating. I don't know. But why is it important that the church operate the way Jesus wants us to operate? Because the church is the only authorized representative of God in the earth. The only one. I'm talking about the true church. I'm not talking about organized religion. The true church is the one that represents God. Unfortunately, the organized church also represents God to some people. And those people get a wrong impression of who God really is. The church is the only one with authority to pray to God and shift the atmosphere and tear down strongholds. The church is the only one. You know, Moose Lodge can't do it. The JC, if they're even in operating today, can't do it. All these clubs can't do it. The church is the only one that has the authority to pray into the heavens and tear down strongholds over a city. The only one. As a believer, you're the only one that has the authority to pray into your family and cast down strongholds over your children and your grandchildren when they don't have a clue what's going on. Anybody got any like that? The church is the final answer to the world that we live in. So we have to operate according to design. So we go back to to Acts chapter 2. Go back to the first incidents of the New Testament church. And we see in Acts 2.42, we see a model of the activity of the early church. And we see it says all the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper, and to prayer. So we see that the early activity of the church, the very first thing we're told is that they devoted themselves. And that word devote means to persevere devotedly, to persevere in some activity or cause to the point of devotion. That's what it means. So how devoted are we? Or do we just check off a list? I've done my little prayer. I've done my little reading, checking off a list. But what were they devoted to? They were devoted, first of all, to the apostles teaching. What was the apostles teaching? What Jesus taught. They taught what Jesus taught. They didn't teach all these other ideas and thoughts and opinions of man. They taught what Jesus taught. He said, I'm the way, the truth and the life. Nobody comes to me, comes to the father, except by me. That's what he taught. He taught that you have authority over the powers of darkness. That's what he taught. So he taught you all to always pray and not stop praying. Don't grow weary. Don't give up. That's what he taught. So we have to teach the same thing that Jesus taught. The apostles teach. And we have to be devoted to that teaching. So if any kind of strange doctrine or doctrine of demons comes in, we kick it out, right? We don't allow it. And there's a lot of doctrines of demons that are running through the church today. That you it's okay for this and it's okay for that. It's not okay. It's not okay. God has not changed His word on what this, this His mind on what this word says or means. He has not changed His mind. But we have those that think that God changes with the culture. God says, I'm, "I never change. I'm the Lord God, and I change not." Hebrews tells us Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He's not culturally relevant. He supersedes culture. And then it said they were, they were devoted to fellowship. That's the word koinonia. And that word means participation. It's an act of sharing activities or privileges of an intimate association or group. The local church is so important. It is so important because we are in a, a group. And see, the devil one year ago deceived people into thinking that they need to stay home from church. Now, there were some valid reasons that some might have needed to stay home. I'm not saying that. But a vast majority of people bought into the lie of the devil. They bought into the lie. We need association. The third thing was it says meals slash communion. It's really talking about the Lord's Supper here. It was not uncommon for them to have meals and they always had communion at the Lord's Supper. They shared daily. Number four, they were devoted to prayer. Jesus says, my house will be a house of prayer, right? That's what he said. My house is going to be a house of prayer. So how much of this are we devoted to as a church, as an individual? Are you as, as an individual? How, and you answer that for yourself. I have to answer it for myself. I know I'm not nearly where I'm going to be. I didn't say want to be. I said going to be. I'm not going to try to do it. I'm going to do it. Because if I say I'm going to try, the chances are there that I won't do it. I'm going to do it. How about you? I'm not going to stop until I see what God has promised in this word come to pass. In our church, in our city, in our nation, in our families. Acts two forty three and 47 says, I love that song that, that Dan was singing, that uh, spirit, your spirit. A deep sense of awe came upon them all, and the apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders. See, a deep sense of awe is reverential awe. We don't seem to have that in the church anymore. We do. But the Lord spoke to me several years ago. He says, my people don't honor me as they should. We come into church, what are we talking about? The ball game we saw last night? What we had for dinner, what restaurants are, we went to? Is that is that reverential all of God? We come into this sanctuary, this house, it should be sacred. We should be you know, we should be honoring God, we should be greeting each other with love. And not be more concerned about who won the football game or whatever's on now than than what God is gonna do to, Why don't we come into church and say, Man, what is God gonna do today? I wonder who's gonna heal, who is he gonna set free, who's he gonna deliver? That's what we ought to be saying. That's what should be on our minds, right? We're looking at the New Testament church and the New Testament church had incredible results. And I'm going to show you in a few minutes what they had. And the, uh, the apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders. And all the believers met together in one place and shared everything they had. They sold their property and their possessions and shared the money with those in need They worshiped together at the temple every day. I call that devotion. It's hard enough to reel in people once a week, right? They met at the temple every day together to worship the Lord. They met in homes for the Lord's Supper, and they shared their meals with great joy and generosity, and all the while praising God and enjoying the goodwill of all the people. You might want to say, what happened to this? You can blame Constantine for a lot of it, okay? We'll talk about that maybe another day. It was all going good till this guy shows up and he set the course of history for the church. But we can bring it back, can't we? It's not necessarily about the methods as much as it is the principle behind what we're doing. I don't think God cares. Like I said before, he do not care whether you sing out of a hymn or sing choruses as long as your heart is singing to him. He doesn't care whether we have pews or chairs as long as we have something that we can sit on, right? They worshiped together every day, and all the while praising God and enjoying the the goodwill of all the people. And each day the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved. See, people were getting saved, not just transferring membership. Big difference. So we see four things that the, again, four more things they they met with or they came together with a profound respect and a reverential fear of who God is. They met together, they worshiped together, they met joyful in the homes and these are the actions and the attitudes and then in in Matthew 18 Jesus says, "I will build my church." well, how did he say he was going to build it he gives us he's given us a model of attitude he's given us a model of action now he's given us a structure now this is You're going to have to get this if you really want to be a successful church. We are. We've got to understand this. Okay? Ephesians 4.11. Now, these are the gifts Christ gave to the church. Can, Can we understand these are gifts? These are gifts. What is a gift? A gift is a function. These are functions that Christ gave to the church. Now, we say, well, he's talking about the global church. Yes, he is. But also, I believe he's talking about the local church, both of them. And it might be there's some crossover sometime. But he said, these are the gifts that Christ gave to the church, the apostle, the prophet, the evangelist, and the pastors, and the teachers. No, excuse me, and teachers. I'm going to do that correctly. The apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, and the pastors and teachers. Okay. So I want to look at these, these gifts that Christ gave to the church, and I want us to understand why we have to have these operating. These gifts have to operate and you know yourself through the years that for years we've called everybody pastor because we didn't know what else to call them because that was that was good enough and many times it's because all the pastor did was nurture the people and manage the people and wipe their noses and change their pampers and give them a new passy when the other one wore out. That's what pastors did. And there's a place for that to a degree. But sooner or later, you've got to pull out the pasty, tell them to get on their big boy panties and go out and, and, and do what they're called to do, right? <laughs> <laughs> Bucket, what is it? Buckle, what is it? Bucket up, buttercup. Suck it up, buttercup. Okay, I didn't hear that. No powder puffs in the kingdom. So the first are apostles, and I'm going to give you a G word to, recommend, uh, the, to represent every one of these. Apostles govern. Apostles govern. And these are some of the identity points that you might find or characteristics of the apostolic mantle. Now, let me just go back and correct one thing. There's been a lot of wrong teaching that every, if you're an apostle, all you do is plant churches. That is so wrong. That is so wrong. That's not in the scripture. You know, do apostles plant churches? Of course they do. Do some apostles not plant churches? Of course they do. Of course they do. But what they do is they govern as God gives them. And God gives apostles or people with the apostolic mantle realms of authority. Many times it may be a church only or a region only. Sometimes it's nations. So we have to know the difference. But apostles govern, they are pioneers, they're visionaries. Apostle is a military term. They go into the enemy territory to subdue and teach the ways of God. They possess spiritual authority and the grace to fight battle on the highest spiritual level. They're a Patton. That's who they are. Patton was an apostle. He was a military apostle. And then it says, They operate in tremendous spiritual authority and serve as generals at the highest level of spiritual warfare. They will receive much opposition in the spirit realm and in their sphere of authority. They're often seen not just in the church, but also in the business and in the marketplace. I was thinking this morning about Wayne back there. Wayne is an apostle in the city. You know why? Because he's got this vision God has given him to help these girls who have been trafficked, trafficked, He's like a bulldog. He's not going to let go of it. He's got hold of it. He's not letting go. He's got the vision. He's got. He's knows he's got the, the authority to go through the warfare. Wayne's probably not going to be too cuddly and coddly inside the church here. Now he's kind and he's sweet. He is. But I wouldn't go to him and you know and ask for a new passy. He's going to tell you what. Suck it up, Buttercup. They're going to receive a lot of opposition in their sphere of authority. They're often seen not just in a church. I said that already. Identifies and makes changes and decisions to advance the kingdom of God. They're master builders. They're strategists. They're never satisfied with maintaining and are always looking to take back territory from Satan. They have authority to war for territories. They teach and they preach in a way to bring spiritual understanding, resolve conflicts, solve problems, while looking at the bottom line, they shield others in times of warfare, so they cover, and they're known for high character and accountability. Terry has something he wants to say. I can look at his face. Go ahead. We're going to count a little bit of tag team tonight today.
1: I love this stuff.
0: Now don't get your notes mixed up with mine. I'm not submit.
1: Submit. Uh. You hear that growl? That was a love growl. I do love this. When this church grasps these fully, this church will explode. We've been heading in this direction for 15, 16 years. It is a process. I want to read you some attributes of apostles. Apostles. They love people, but they do not focus on individuals. They focus on cities, regions, and nations. I've heard some of y'all talk about how you walk down the street, and I thank God you're like this, that you see people and you hurt and you stop and you pray for them, you nurture them, you just want to help them. I walk down the street, I see nobody. I don't make eye contact with anybody. I don't say hey to anybody. I'm on a mission to go to the restaurant and I don't, I don't say, oh, there's Bill. Hey Bill, how are you doing? Give me a hug. I don't even see you unless you stop me. I walked by the other day, these people come by and I thought I didn't see any of those people, but all day at night in the middle of the night, I'm focused on cities and nations. That's the difference. Both are important. Yes. Apostles are like military generals. They're aware that people will be wounded and lost in the battle, but they are assigned to win the war. Did you know Jesus was the same way? He knew the apostles had to give their life and they would be martyred and he willingly let them die because he was more focused on winning the world. I want you to let that one sink in. He knew they would die. And he willingly let them be martyred and brutally tortured because the war that would be won, the discipling of nations, was ultimately more important than individuals. Jesus saw the big picture. Their calling is to disciple nations not oversee the daily operations of a local church. That's the role of the pastor. Apostles do not even focus frequently on the needs of the few. That assignment is also typically given to pastors. Apostles should primarily focus on kingdom expansion. Apostles are often misunderstood because of, their, of these characteristics. Nevertheless, an apostle will not lose sight of their assignment despite criticism are being judged. A general never submits to the troops. He or she continues to lead to fulfill Matthew 28.
0: That's a little more clarity on that role as the apostle. You know, I've told you before when Barbara was here and she first thing she said to me, she said, you better get a pastor in impact someone with a pastoral mantle. Not saying that those with the apostolic mantle don't love people. They do love people. These are the ones, the apostles and prophets, are more likely to get to give their life than the pastors inside the church. Most in most situations, I'm saying. So it's a very important, it's a very important role that we understand the apostolic mantle, the apostolic function has to be prevalent and present in a church it always has been in this church pastor robbins was extremely apostolic and usually you'll carry a mixture he was an apostolic person but he was also a pastor incredible pastor's heart but let me tell you nothing got by him and he would not sacrifice the congregation for one or two if he saw strife or discord in the body of christ he'd get it out he didn't care he was not sacrificing the whole for one or two and that's what, ha- that's what we do as, as apostolic mantles. We have to take care of that. We have to see the big picture. I remember the day that I said yes that I would cons- that I would take you know this role. I never didn't know the difference between an apostle and an apple tree. I just knew, and my, my response to Miss Robbins was, and Pastor Robbins was, "I don't feel like I'm a pastor. I don't have that mantle that I've seen. I love people, yes, I love people dearly. We give our life for people every day. We get where ours were with people every day. But that was a big thing for me. But then immediately, as soon as as soon as soon I said yes, God downloaded the vision for this church. And, it, and he talked to me about community transformation, which I didn't have a clue what that was either. I had to do some learning. But see, the vision was immediate that we're to go outside this church and we're to transform this region. It's not about everything. See, what do we do inside the church? We equip the saints to go outside and transform the region. Somebody has to make sure that gets done. Somebody has to have the vision. And the apostolic mantle will not let go of the vision. Like I said, it's like a bulldog that holds on to it. We've been called. This church has been called. It's been confirmed with signs and wonders. It's been confirmed with prophetic words. This is what we're called to do. Is every church called to do that? I think they are. I don't think we're the only one. I don't think that God doesn't speak to others, leaders. So that's the, the apostolic mantle. The second is that of the prophetic mantle. And so the, as the apostles govern, the the prophets guide. And this, these are characteristics. They have an unshakable witness of being called, not just prophetic, but operate in the office of the prophet. Every one of you can be prophetic, but that doesn't mean every one of us can be prophetic, but that doesn't mean that we're... Operating in the office of the prophet. Every one of us can be apostolic, but that doesn't mean we're operating in the office. Every one of us can be pastoral. See, even the prophet and the apostle can function as a pastor when the need is there. We have to understand this because it's Holy Spirit giftings. You know, He's not going to put you in a place and say, Oh, this person needs a pastor. Well, I'm sorry, I'm not, that's not my calling. You know, that's foolish. That's not what the Word of God teaches us. We function in the role that the Holy Spirit has us functioning in. But there's this preferred way that we do ministry. Just like our personalities, preferred ways that we express ourselves. Well, there's also the shadow side, and that's the side that we have to function in that may not necessarily be the preferred way that we function. Does that make sense? So as a prophet, we have, they have an unshakable witness of being called. Not just prophetic, but operate in the office of the prophet. How many of you would say, I'd love to have the prophetic gift? How many? Raise your hand. Don't be. Let me tell you something. You have it. You have it. If you have Holy Spirit inside of you, you have it. You have that gift. Now, do you have the faith to operate in it? How many of you would like to be apostolic, like to be visionaries, like to really see the big picture? Anybody? How many want to do warfare? Okay, you have it. You really do have it because you have Holy Spirit operating inside of you. You couldn't desire it if God didn't put that desire there with you. Now, you have to ask yourself, am I desiring with right motivation? So we have to ask ourselves these things. So the prophets operate under the three A's, anointing, accuracy, and authority. Do prophets ever miss it? I'm not answering that question. Marked by character, a prophetic spirit, the ability to bear. This is the thing. They bear the Lord's burden. The apostle and the prophet bear the Lord's burden. You can't shake that burden. You can't shake the burden for the city. You can't shake the burden for the region. You can't shake the burden for the government because God has given you that burden to to drive that. See, we do spiritual warfare. If we don't have it, who's going to do it? The church is the only way we can do spiritual warfare. You say, well, this is not a warm and fuzzy message today. Well, we'll get you a warm and fuzzy next week, okay? (laughs) But this is the birth of the church. This is the birth of the church. If if we grasp this, we can walk in victory in everything we do. I'm going to show you in a minute. This is how the early church operated. This is why signs and wonders were there. Prophets are uniquely anointed to deal with sin in the church or the body of Christ. They serve as watchmen to give warnings. They see ahead of things. See, they see ahead. They see what's coming. Now, every one of you that said, I want to have the prophetic gift can see what's coming because Holy Spirit is the one that breathes into you that knowledge, that word of wisdom. You can have it. And there's a lot of you sitting on these seats that have that prophetic gift. How much faith do you have to operate in it? Number one, we check the motivation of our heart. Am I doing it just so I can be a, get a big name? No. I tell you, I think the office of the prophet is the hardest one to qualify for in a sense. Because, man, you've got to have your stuff together. Not that they all aren't, but prophets, okay, uh, they serve as watchmen to give warnings. They have a warring spirit. And they help prepare God's people for the work of ministry, bringing them to maturity. The prophetic person has a warring spirit. They work with apostles to build the local church, very open to the spiritual realm, and often move powerfully in the healing ministry of a church. They have others move into God-ordained areas of their lives through encouragement and support. They help others to judge and discern revelation coming into the church. They're on a peer level with the apostle, but they submit. They have to submit. Tag team.
1: Tag team. How many of you have ever looked at Jesus as a prophet? A prophet is never surprised at what the enemy's doing. Jesus did not say, I didn't see that coming. Instead, he said, I see what's coming. Here's what I'm going to do to combat the plans of the enemy. We as a church should never... Be surprised when somebody walks in that door and tries to disrupt the service. Somebody that's prophetically gifted in the night should have had a dream or a vision and said, Donna, somebody's walking this church today and they're going to be sitting right there. Like last Sunday, they're going to try to disrupt the church and throw somebody's cell phone across the back of the room and destroy it because they were sent here by the enemy. We shouldn't miss that as a church. We should have enough insight of Holy Spirit to say, they're coming in, let's stop that before it happens. We're getting there. We're maybe not there yet, but we are getting there rapid pace. We should never be surprised by demonic attacks. The remnant church is about to walk in this prophetic gifting, and I believe very, very soon, Deborah. Very soon, simply because Jesus did. We're supposed to do the works of Jesus, the prophetic works of Jesus. Not the weird stuff, not the woo -woo stuff, not that we see trains flying through the sky. We're just supposed to operate in the prophetic. We hear from God and we function in that. We live and move and have our being in the prophetic. It's just an accurate way to discern what is happening in our lives, in this church, in the world. Business people should be very prophetic in their businesses. We should never be called off guard and say, "Well, I didn't see that, that mistake. Oh, I didn't see that person doing that. We should know days, weeks in advance what the enemy is going to do to try to disrupt a kingdom business. And we start praying and we start coming against the principalities that are trying to destroy what God is planning to do. Instead, we're hustling around so often. Now what do we do? we got to regroup. What do We get the people to pray, pray, pray. God will get us out of this mess. We should have never been in the mess. That's why we have to be listening to the Holy Spirit. Again, are we there yet? Sort of. But I think we're on a rapid track to get there soon.
0: You know, uh, last year we began just getting downloads of God telling us to prepare for this and do that, and this was coming, and, and various people in the church, and we were all hearing the same thing. See, that's a prophetic gift operating in the church. Now, that doesn't necessarily mean that we're operating in the office of the prophet, but the prophetic gift is operating. It's operating, and it should be operating. Yes, It should be operating. Every time we open our doors, A prophetic gift should flow. Barbara says, Barbara Wintrable says, worship will release a prophetic spirit. And I believe that. I believe that. We have incredible worship. The presence of God today was incredibly strong. Now, I want to clarify one thing. No one of these gifts is better than the other. That's what you got. to. Not one is not better than the other. They fun, they're functions and they're important. You know, you think about your car, is your transmission more important than your motor? Well, if you don't have the transmission, the motor is not going to function, right?
1: Without one of the five, we're crippled, and yeah. we're not operating as a biblical church.
0: Right. Okay, that's the prof- the prophet. How many would love to have the prophetic gift again? I'm going to pray for boldness for you to want it. You need the prophetic gift to live life. God, give them boldness. Give us boldness, not only to want it, but to walk in it. See, this is the problem. We've looked at these as labels or looked at these as titles. And so I'm not worthy for that. I'm not worthy to have a prophetic gift. Why aren't you? You got Holy Spirit. If you got the Holy Spirit inside of you, you ha- you are. God has made you worthy through the blood of Jesus, so you can operate in whatever He needs for you to operate in. You know, we, a lot of us will get hung up. Well, I have a gift of this, so I don't do that. Well, what if we need that done? Can you come out of your primary gift and go into your shadow gift? <laughs> And clean the toilets once in a while. Serve in the nursery. Greet at the door. Well, that's not my gift. I'm called to teach. Well, humble yourself. Okay, then, then the following that is the evangelists. And the evangelists gather. The evangelists gather. And they gather in the lost. And it's a, the evangelist is a messenger who proclaims the good news of Christ. They, their emphasis is on preaching the gospel to the lost They bring others to salvation. They train others to win souls. They work in coordination with the local church. And this has been a big problem we've had. We have evangelists go out and they don't work in in cooperation with the church because they win converts and never make disciples. It's the church that's going to make disciples, right? Evangelists don't stay in a place long enough to make a disciple usually. If they do, they become pastors, right? (laughs) And teachers. Okay. Okay. And so they work in coordination with the church. They have a passion to win souls individually and also in groups of people. Like Reinhard Bonnke, a perfect example of incredible gift An evangelist. Would anybody say that his gift was inferior to Peter Wagner, who was an incredible apostle? Of course not. He's just as important, just as important, just as critical. And then we have pastors The word for pastors is that they guard, they shepherd, they tend to, they have direct oversight of the flock. They lead the flock to safe waters. They're apt to teach. And oftentimes in the scripture, pastor and elder are used interchangeably. But in the local church, there has to be a lead pastor. There has to be somebody breaking the tie and calling the shots when it comes to the internal workings of the church. Uh, the, the, it's the office of pastor. The office of pastor is ordained by God and elders are ordained by man. That's the difference. Okay? And then we have the teachers. And the word for teachers is ground. They ground the people in the word of God. They teach and edify the church. They, gro- they ground the believers in the truth of the apostles. Teachers are pastors as they lead the flock to safe, un- safely understanding the word of God. So teachers, in a sense, do, path, do, do pastor. All pastors should be teachers, but not all teachers may be pastors, depending on the role that they have in their local church. So all pastors must be teachers. The Bible tells us that. Actually, in this particular scripture, it's very controversial among some that pastor-teacher is not referring to the same person as an office in the church. And we can go back into the Greek, and I can prove that to you, but that's just my opinion as well. But some say, no, that's not true. They don't believe that, okay? So some believe that pastors have to be teachers, and they're the same one. But teachers, not all teachers are always pastors, okay? So anyone who's standing in front of people, to teach the word is really guiding the flock, isn't it? That's why Pastor Robbins used to tell me, be careful who you give the pulpit to. He said, they can destroy in 30 minutes what you spent 30 years to build because they're guiding the mentality and the mind of the flock.
1: I want to share some thoughts from a teaching that Dutch Sheets did about a month ago uh, we actually have only met Dutch one time in an elevator, so he doesn't know who we are. That's not really important. But we have followed Dutch Sheets for 16 years, and he is definitely an apostle. He is reaching the world in a, in a major way. He shared something on, on the recent teaching he talked about for centuries, for the last 1900 years, the church has functioned with the pastor, teacher, evangelist role. Now, is that bad? No, it's not bad. Can churches be successful? Can they have large churches with the pastor, teacher, and evangelist in place? Absolutely. There's churches with hundreds. There's churches with thousands of members that have those three roles. They function very well within those parameters. But without the apostle, without the prophet, they are not going to expand the kingdom of God because they're working more internally. Locally, very locally. And I'll show you how we can justify that statement. How many of you were either around or heard of the charismatic renewal 40, 50 years ago? Some of y'all, y'all heard that. Some of you as old as I am. Better raise your hands. You're not that young. You're not doing that to me. Statistics say about 50 million people were born again during the charismatic renewal. The greatest revival in the world, in the history of the world. Was that a game changer for America? Was it? No, it wasn't. Now, it was good because 50 million people got born again. Many of us are still serving God. But during the midst of the charismatic renewal in the last 50 years, the world has discipled the church. The church has been lost to ungodly rule. The world has discipled the family, trying to destroy the family. And this is in the midst of 50 million people getting born again and confessing Jesus as Lord and being filled, many of them, with the Holy Spirit. All great things. But we lost the family. In the midst of the charismatic renewal, we lost our government. In the midst of the greatest renewal in history, we lost our schools and education. We lost the media, total control. In the midst of this renewal, we lost arts and entertainment. And in the midst of this great renewal, we lost business. The seven mountains were advocated to the world, and and the church was huddled, we're holding together. We got our masses. We're having a great Sunday morning gathering, and the world's going to hell. And we've lost all the influences of the world, we've lost control of them. Apostolic people, prophetic people, combined with pastor, teacher, evangelist, are determined to get that back and recapture that. Without it, there is no America. Without it, the world goes to hell. But God's not going to let that happen. He's waking up the remnant church. And people across this nation, churches are saying, we need apostles. We need the uh, uh, evangelists. We need the pastor teacher. We need the prophets. Those churches are not just going to flourish. They're going to change history. This is one of those churches. I
0: thought you were going to talk about what Dutch did when he made the transition. That's okay.
1: Well, he said, I love that story. He said he was a pastor for 20 years. They called him Pastor Dutch. He said, I don't have a pastoral bone in my body. He said, if you come up to me with a runny nose, he said, the Holy Spirit spoke to me. He said, get a pastor in charge because you hurt people. <laughs> and he said, I'm just, I love people, but I hurt people because I want to just slap them and get out of the way and just go do what the word of God says. So you need a, So he said, I put pastors in place, and I operated as an apostle, and our church exploded. And what we did just explode because we put the five gifts in operation in our church in its entirety.
0: And he's not necessarily talking about exploding in numbers, but exploding in power in and power. effectiveness. So the, back to the structure of the early church, and, and I want to reiterate, not a one of these gifts is more important than the other. It's not more important. They all are very necessary for the function. Jesus says these are the functions that we need operating to make the church the ecclesia. And I'm playing on words there. To make his ecclesia act like the ecclesia. We have to have these things functioning or we get one-sided. we get one-sided. We just come in and we, we kind of become inbred. In other words, we never send anyone out. We're just constantly, you know, licking wounds and, and patting people on the back. And nobody's growing. Nobody, the world's not changing. Our community's not changing. And as Terry said, during the charismatic re- renewal, the world, our nation, got discipled by the world and by the powers of evil. And now look what's going on in our schools. Look what's going on in our government. Look what's going on in many churches. Simply because the church did not rise up and be the church that Jesus built. So 1 Corinthians 12, 28, again, Paul's talk. Now, this is Paul talking about how God has, has structured the church. And he says, and God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers. Then he says, then miracles, then gifts of healing, helping, administrating in various kinds of tongues. I think it's very important. The first three are people. The last are gifts, he mentions. Now, what's significant about that? He said apostles first and he's here again It's in order It's first in order, not in preeminence. (laughs) Second in order is the prophet third in order are the teachers. And if you think about that, that has to be in that order. But then he says, but then miracles and guess this is showing us the power of the body of Christ. He said, because when you have these things in place, the body can then become everything it's supposed to become. Instead, of, what do we have done in the past? Well, if somebody's sick. Can pastor go pray for them? You go pray for them. You lay hands on the sick. Well, that's what the pastor does. Now, the pastor should teach you to go lay hands on the sick, right? That's why a lot of pastors burn out by, by the time they're about 50 years of age because they've done everything. Visit hospital. You go visit in the hospital. Now, make sure you know what you're doing, Right? So in Romans 12, 6, it says, In His grace, God has given us different gifts of doing certain things well. Now, this is for the full body. So if God has given you the ability to prophesy, speak out with as much faith as God has given you, many people will not walk in the faith they have to operate the gift God has given them because that's for the prophet, that's for the pastor, that's for the teacher. No, you have the gift, you operate, you walk in faith and do it. Yes. Barbara said when she first started prophesying, she's one of the most accurate prophets. I mean, I don't know that she's ever said anything to that ever didn't come back true. But she said the first time she started prophesying and, and she was so upset and nervous about it, she said a one word would come out. She just released a word. And then the next thing you know, the Holy Spirit gave her the, he gave her the next word. Then he gave her the next word. Then he gave her the next word. But she knew that as she went step by step, God was supplying. I mean, many times we want to write it in our journal and, you know, record it. And there's nothing wrong with that either. I mean, that works too. But, you know, walk in the faith God has given you. If your gift is serving, serve well. Thank God for the servers here at Impact, the gift of ministry, the helps. Every one of us should be in the ministry of helps, really. Why can't we all help? Can't we all do what needs to be done? Yeah, if you're a teacher, teach well. That means you might have to crack open the Bible and study a little bit. Right? You can't teach on somebody else's message. So if, you're a teach, if, you get, if you desire to teach and you have no passion for reading and studying, you're probably in the wrong gift, right? You might just be wanting to be in front of people, okay? I told you it might be a little... If your gift is to encourage others, then be encouraging. So much of the body walks around like they've been sucking on lemons all day. I mean, they just walk around. They're so sad they're so forlorn and I'm so depressed. Well, get over it, Right? That's not the pastoral thing, no. Get over it. The Bible says you put on a garment of praise for a spirit of heaviness. And that's what I say to people. They come to me and they're believers. I'm depressed. I said, have you been praising God? Because the Bible says you put on the garment of praise, the spirit of heaviness leaves. Well, didn't think about that. Seriously. So whatever you do, do it well. If you're giving, give generously. If God has given you leadership ability, take responsibility seriously. And if you have a gift for showing kindness to others, do it gladly. Now, I think that some of these are fruit of the Spirit. We should always be kind to others. I'm working on Terry on some things. But we should all be kind to others, right? We're we're all a work in process. We really are. We should all be generous. We should all be hospitable. This is the fruit of the Spirit operating in our lives. And claiming one gift does not relieve you of responsibility for others. That's so important that we must know that. Why is this important? I want to read this is from Robert Heidler's book, Messianic Church Arising. And he did some research on how the normal New Testament church looked on Sunday morning. Whenever they, or whenever they met. So it says in the early church, this was a week, talking about the thing signs and wonders, a weekly occurrence. Listen to this. Now, this is all about us. When the members of the body assembled, they came as living stones forming the temple of God. It wasn't just a spectator Christianity watching to see what the pastor has to give today, watching to see what Dan is going to sing. We all are living stones. We participate in worship. We engage in what's being said. We pray for each other. As the presence of God had once filled Moses' tabernacle and the temple of Solomon, so the presence of God filled his new temple, the church. How many of you are the church? That means you've been filled with his presence. Okay? As those assembled since the presence of God, some fell to the ground in worship. Others stop and are silent, welcoming the Lord's presence. See, what works for you is worship. You worship the way that you want to worship. You don't have to, oh, I gotta raise my hand because Terry's raising his hands. Or I gotta get on my face because Abram's on his face. No, you you worship with a heart of, of truth and purity. And then it says um, as the presence of God rests in their midst, ministry begins to take place. First Corinthians 14 describes the Holy Spirit sovereignly manifesting his gifts as a people assemble. A woman on the far side of the courtyard stands up and gives a word of knowledge for healing. A man raises a hand and says, that's me. People cluster around the man and pray for him. He is instantly healed. uh, Someone else stands up and reads a passage of scripture. Another man, a teacher, gives an explanation of the passage. A woman stands and gives a beautiful prophetic song. Many are so touched by its beauty and anointing they begin to weep. Prophetic words are flowing. There are tongues and interpretation. Through it all they continue to move in and out of worship. The scenario is clearly described in 1 Corinthians 14:23 through 32. This is how the early church met and ministered. At one point, a man introduces a family who have been sitting quietly near the back of the crowd. They are his neighbors. You can tell by the look on their faces that this is their first time here, and they are not sure that they're in the right place. The man says they have come because their 12-year-old daughter has contracted an illness as has left her totally blind. They have come to the church to pray for her. Those with the gift of healing come and stand with the elders as they anoint the little girl with oil and pray. Suddenly, the little girl begins to cry with tears running down her cheeks. She she cries out, I can see, I can see. The mother crouches down and hugs her daughter. Within four or five minutes, the entire family is saved and giving their hearts to Jesus. A prophetic word is given, revealing the secrets of someone's heart. That person comes forward and says, I don't know Jesus, but I know God is here. I want to know him. Ministry continues, and this is where much of the evangelism in the church took place inside the church because the presence of God was drawing people through the miraculous power of God working in the midst of his people. Most of us don't even have a concept of that happening, but it was the norm in the early church. Now, this is uh, the decline and fall of the Roman Empire by Gibbon. This is how he described the life of the early church. The primitive Christians perpetually trod on mystic ground, and that word scares a lot of people. Mystics, because some of that's gotten woo-woo in New Age. That's not what we're talking about. They felt, they felt that on one side they were incessantly assaulted by demons, comforted by visions, instructed by prophecy, and surprisingly delivered from danger, sickness, and from death itself by the prayers of the church. You see why Jesus says, my house should be called a house of prayer. Our meeting of the church has now run late into night, but no one seems to notice. Finally, the meeting begins to break up. The sense of the Spirit's presence begins to lift, but there are still several small groups gathered in prayer. As people prepare to leave, there's a great deal of hugging and kissing. It seems like a family reunion, and it is. It is a weekly reunion of the family of God. This is out of the rise and fall or decline and fall of the Roman Empire.
1: before you shift gears I want to share one story that Dutch ministered to in January and we think some of these terms are just spiritual terms just in the church but he used the Roman government when they would go into a country he said for instance Persia and they invaded Persia militarily they took over the country and he said the leaders of Rome were very confident that they had conquered Persia completely but they weren't concerned about an insurrection now they were concerned about it 5 10 20. 40 years later because they said when things stabilize, the Persians will want to revert back to their way of doing things, and now they're Roman, so we have to change the way they think. So the Roman government sent in an apostle. It's not a spiritual term. They had a, a person that was assigned to the Roman government military as an apostle. That apostle would go in and strategize a plan to change the way the Persians think over generations. They would then send in teams to disciple the Persians to turn them into Romans. They knew if they disciple the Persians and change their government, change their philosophy, change their religion, change their schools, change everything that we can control the entire country forever. So see, the the satanic forces use the same principles the church has been asleep on for almost 2,000 years.
0: I just read, I think it was yesterday, that someone was saying that when the enemy gets the schools, he has the nation. When the enemy gets the schools, he has the nation. I think we're coming to so where we're gonna to have to make some very serious decisions about how we school or educate our children. So, where does that lead us as a church? Number one, Impact Church is an apostolically-led, prophetically-driven or directed church whose goal is the mandate. And that is Apostolic Prophetic Foundation mandates the church to become a true ecclesia, which means, number one, that spiritual warfare is going to happen. See, a lot of churches will not even discuss spiritual warfare Jeff was talking last night in prayer about some guy he knows that he won't even let you talk about Holy Spirit because he's been taught that Holy Spirit is not for today and, and not a good thing, that they're referring to evil or whatever. See how ignorant, see how people in churches can grab hold of the wrong doctrine? And this is being taught by leaders in the church. See, it's not the apostles' doctrine, is it? We've got to be devoted to the apostles' doctrine. So warfare is going to happen. Jesus says, Matthew 16, 18, Upon this rock I'll build my church, and the gates of Hades will not prevail over it. What's he saying? He said, hell's coming against the church, but it's not going to win. Hell is going to come against the church, but it will not win. You've got to expect spiritual warfare. And we've been through tons of it, that we've had dreams that God has given us, warning us about, about spiritual warfare and the enemy to come. Number two, prophetic revelation is required. Ephesians 3.10 says the purpose of this was to unveil before every throne and rank of angelic order in the heavenly realm God's full and diverse wisdom revealed how? Through the news, through the church, through ecclesia. Ecclesia reveals God's wisdom to powers and principalities in the heavenlies. And that's what this is referring to. This is not referring to God's angels. I think they know God's wisdom. But these are the same ones that Paul was talking about over a couple more chapters. as it says it's powers and principalities and spiritual wickedness in high places. The church is called to reveal to them, those forces, God's wisdom. We as the church are the only ones that have the authority to tear down spiritual strongholds. The only one. How do I know that? Because I've watched people go through 12-step programs, I've watched people go through small groups. I've watched people go through this and that. And it's a temporary relief until you get to the root cause and you get that devil out of their life, or you heal that brokenness or whatever it might be. See, God's the only one that can do that. Why do we keep having these repeated patterns of behavior? Because the world's methods don't work. Clinical methods are good, but there's not the final answer. You know, if God hits this city with revival, we could be out of business and we'll be rejoicing because He'll take care of everything. Wouldn't that be wonderful that you don't need a mental health clinic any longer? Wouldn't that be wonderful that everybody's mind is at ease, that depression and anxiety and addictions and bondages and homosexuality has all been lifted from people? Wouldn't that be wonderful? When the glory of God hits Concord, that's going to happen. That's going to happen. Let me tell you, trafficking will be a past issue. We'll look back and we'll say, "Did that really happen?" We've got to get the prophetic revelation of who we are. We walk in that authority. You walk in that authority. Do you have faith to do it? You don't have to be behind a pulpit. Take authority in your home of those the devils trying to destroy your children, your grandchildren. We have authority. Number three, that transformation is an ugly process. It's not going to be neat and pretty. How do I know? Acts 17, 6, these men who have turned the world upside down. Let me tell you what upside down means. I never read it. I never even looked this up until yesterday that I recall. Turned upside down means to upset, to disturb the balance or stability, to incite, to revolt, to cause, to rebel or to stir up. The disciples were revolting, and it goes on down. You know what they were revolting against? Caesar's decrees. So all of these manby-pamby Christians that think we're supposed to sit back and keep our mouth shut while we have all these bad laws being passed where we're killing babies and approving perversion in our schools, they need to read their Bibles. Now, we don't destroy property. We don't kill people. What do we do? We go into the heavens. We tear down strongholds. We stand up for what is right. We turn cities upside down. Are we but do we have the faith and the boldness to do it? Yes we do. Yes we do. You see why we need these five functions inside the church. If we only have a pastorally led church, then we're not we're gonna might make great disciples, but what are they gonna disciple everybody for the rest of their life inside the church? What are they gonna do outside? How are they gonna win the world? How do they win the lost? There's a reason our cities were taken over by the powers of darkness. There's a reason our schools were taken over. The church was asleep. Come on up, Galen. The church was asleep. So
2: um I'm a bit of a history nerd. And one thing I know is that a lot of these problems that we see Today, they got started like in the forties and the sixties where people just made compromises or leaders who wanted agendas did things to get the way they, to get the things they wanted. And it has compromised so much, but God has been in the process of restoring the fivefold ministry. Cause this is what you've been talking about to the church because of the stagnation that occurred yes. via the Catholics. I don't mean to, I don't mean to call them out, but their church stagnated throughout the entirety of the Middle Ages. But God prophesied in the days of Daniel. Nebuchadnezzar's vision was a timeline. When that rock struck the statue, it was the power of the Catholic Church, the last shred of ancient Rome breaking. And the power of God's kingdom kept growing until it has filled the earth. There are many Christians around the world. And while there may not be that, and while Maybe some people are wishy-washy or maybe not fully into it. The fact is, God has been doing this for thousands of years compared to what the enemy has been doing. God has been restoring the church far longer than the enemy has. And that's the thing. The enemy thinks he's winning. No, he isn't. He may be gaining ground, but compared to how much God already has, it's a drop in the bucket. God has been restoring everything since the days of Martin Luther, since the days of the Protestant Reformation. Ever since then, God's kingdom has been growing, and the enemy cannot stop it no matter what he does. He can try to impair it, but he cannot win. The best thing we can do, though, is to pray, to strengthen the church and pray for not another revival, but an awakening. Like America, the church is a giant and if the Spirit of God were to, uh, were to move on all the church, not even just the remnant, but like if the entire church were to wake up and truly seek the Spirit of God, the enemy would not stand a chance at all. That's what we need to pray for is another awakening that the Spirit of God would pour out and that the enemy would run for the hills with his tail between his legs. Lord, bring an awakening. Bring it all. A- bring an awakening of the church. It's been a long time coming and I think we're getting ready.
0: Yes, good word. Thank you. Good word, Caleb. Good word, yes. And that what Caleb is talking about is exactly what we've seen. If you go back and study revivals, you will see where the presence of God, let me tell you, you think, okay, well, I'm part of the remnant. Okay. You know why you're part of the remnant? Your job is to be a remnant for everybody else. Really. We're called for the sake of others. So as we pray, we're praying for this awakening so that those who don't have eyes to see and ears to hear can be awakened. It's not just so we can have goosebumps and roll in the floor and be happy. No, it's for the nation. It's for the city. It's for the schools. And what Caleb is talking about, if you go back and study revivals, you'll see it time after time after time where God visits cities. He visits communities. And the presence of God will hit people in bars and in lounges and in, 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 in businesses. And they'll just fall to their face. They don't know what happened. Nobody's there preaching and teaching anything to them. It's just a sovereign move of God. And it moves upon these people. And they begin to cry out to God for for salvation. And they don't even know what happened. This is what we believe is going to happen. This is going to happen in this city. Why do I know? Because God promised me it would. God said it would. And we're not giving up until we see it happen. Homes, church. Go back and study revivals. You'll see. Some of them lasted a while. Some of them didn't last very long at all. But what he said is that we've got to pursue, we've got to seek God if you want to see it happen. We are such a, a soft cupcake, what was that, buttercup generation. We want everything instantly. We don't want to be inconvenienced. Don't make it hard on me. You know, but the purpose of the church is to teach every one of us to go outside and do the work of ministry. So many, I'm going to tell you, when you get taught in here, you're taught to go out and heal the sick. You're not taught to bring them to church on Sunday. Bring them to church on Sunday, but when God heals them, they're going to want to come to church on Sunday. They're going to want to say, who is this God that you serve that opened my blinded eye That set me free from these demons that brought deliverance? Who Who is this God? I want to encourage you to become the church, become ecclesia, Quit believing the lie of the enemy that you're not enough, that you're not good enough. God made you good enough. Now did everybody get their communion elements? We want to seal this message with